0: Well, good morning, good morning. It is great to have you guys this morning celebrating with us. So uh, I just want to start off this morning by uh, making a declaration. I have a problem. Anybody have problems? Anybody have a problem real quick? Raise your hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. You are in good company. But I do have a problem. It's probably not new. uh, And it's uh, very, very true. And it's a problem that many of us have had to deal with uh, from time to time. And here's the problem I'm talking about. Uh, back many years ago, when our, when our family, you know, we're starting out and we're young family and uh, we knew that we needed Dish Network. <laughs> and so as a young family, we signed up for Dish Network. It was a good deal, right? It was like $49.99 a month and it was fantastic. 8,000 channels. Watch like three of them, so whatever. So, you know, $49.99, and then we didn't read the fine print as well as we should. Anybody know there's fine print in legal documents? And so we sign on the dotted line, and we're like, yes, $50 a month, we can handle this in our budget. We're excited about this. 24 months later, that $50 a month turns into what? like 120, right, 119.99 to make you feel like it's not 120, <laughs> right, and, and so uh, same sort of, how many have fallen for that and kind of gotten into that trap before, right, how many of you are in that right now bemoaning where you are, right, okay, so, so, right, we all feel this pressure, uh, same sort of thing happens with um, like internet service, right, you're going to get this really good deal right up front and then they shellac you later on, all right, uh, same sort of thing with phones, right. How many of you got your phone, right? You got your, your wonderful phone, and you, you paid, paid money for that probably at some level. And, uh, but I remember back in uh, 1999, my first cell phone. I was a big deal. And uh, I was with Sprint in 1999. I am still with Sprint now T-Mobile, gone from yellow to pink, all right? I am now with them. It's not a commercial for Sprint, by the way. I am now with them since 1999, so me- measure that, a so 22 years I have been with Sprint. And what happens when I look at my bill? The deals are long gone. <laughs> because who are the deals reserved for? The new customers. So as a new customer, you get in, you got your great new phone and all that stuff, and it's fantastic. And then when you go to renew or go to, you know, find that next deal for you as an existing, comp, uh, existing customer, for which if I were to add up all that I have paid to Sprint over the last 22 years of my life, I have sent them through college and not my own children, okay? <laughs> right? Trying to find that deal is almost impossible as an existing customer because there's a problem. Because in our consumer world that we live in, the best is up front. Right? The best is reserved for the beginning. That's when you get the best deals. That's when you get the best customer service. That's when the deal is made, and you're like, yes, I have just made the greatest deal of my life, and all is good. And then 24 months later, life is horrible. <laughs> okay, right? Because upfront is where the deals are made in the world in which We live, and this is actually quite quite instructive for us today, as we begin our journey into the book of John, as we look at these these things that John has pointed out about Jesus that I believe are going to be transformative for us over the next uh, seven or eight weeks as we're here in the book of John. And... um, John chapter 20, verse 31. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you, uh, go to YouTube, go to Facebook, go wherever you need to go and watch last week's message. It was kind of the intro to the whole series. But John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, but these, these miraculous signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this is the whole reason why John is writing the book of John is so that he can tell these seven stories in particular, these miraculous signs that will eventually lead us, those who read it, into belief in Jesus Christ. So John has this one big idea, bring people to Jesus. And I think that's an incredible big idea for our own lives, right, is to bring people to Jesus. And we can often do that really through the book of John. So these seven miraculous signs that John points out, here they are. Now remember, uh, these seven signs are not the only things that Jesus did miraculously while he lived on this earth during these three and a half years, but these are what John has picked out as seven, uh, seven miraculous signs. The first one we're going to talk about today, the wedding at Cana, something very special that happened there. John chapter four, the healing of a servant of a royal official. John chapter 5, a healing of an individual at uh, Bethesda. John chapter 6, feeding of 5,000 people. John chapter 6, Jesus walking on water. John chapter 9, healing a blind Bartimaeus. And John chapter 11, raising Lazarus from the dead. So John purposely picks these seven miraculous signs to help us with our faith. Help us with that initial faith and also, uh, by extension, help us with our ongoing faith. And I want to encourage you uh, to read on ahead. This is not one of those things like in in classes you weren't supposed to read ahead. Read ahead. Please go through the book of John. Read it eight, 10, 20 times over the next uh, seven or eight weeks as we go through this so that you can uh, start having a grasp of what all of this is. So as we get into this, we need to understand what a miracle is. How many of you have ever experienced what you believe is a miracle? Raise your hand really quickly. Look at that. Real quick, keep your hands raised. Look around. Okay, lots of miracles going around, right? Which is beautiful. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. In our world today, the word miracle, though, has lots of different meanings. I don't know if you know that or not, but um, you probably have heard this phrase before. Uh, that was a, a medical miracle, Anybody heard that phrase before, right? That was a medical miracle, and that's great. I mean, that can very well be a medical miracle. That's a wonderful thing. Um, A bridge, heard this uh, just this last week, a bridge is a miracle of engineering, right? It's a miracle, but weird sort of way, it's just engineering, but it is a miracle of engineering, okay? Another miracle, my child cleaned their bedroom. How many parents show some love, right? Growing up, that was a miracle that I never experienced as a child myself, and <laughs> it drove my mom nuts. Sorry, mom. <laughs> and uh, and another miracle, Princess Bride. Anyone? It only mostly dead. <laughs> Will it work? It'll take a miracle. Anybody know what? Okay, fine, fine, fine. Go watch it, Princess Bride, nineteen eighty nine. You need to go watch it, nineteen eighty eight. All right. So we need to define what a miracle is uh, in order for us to really understand what John is talking about uh, when it comes to these miracles, these miraculous signs that he points out. So um, in chronological order, the, the, the miracle that I'm going to be talking about today is the first sign that is given. And the word sign in Greek is "simeon" some is, uh, is the word. It's just a, uh, a Greek way to say sign. But there's something special about this. It's not just a sign, like a signpost. This word actually is rich with meaning. And this, this meaning that John brings out, because he uses this word more than all of the other gospel writers, more, more than all uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he uses this word "sign." Miraculous sign, because for him it indicates this miracle that is to be viewed as a proof of divine authority, a proof of God's glory in action through this sign, and that the sign actually serves not to point to the sign itself, but the sign points somewhere else. The the sign points to the one doing the miracle. And so our faith, our trust, our hope, our grace, all of that then is wrapped up within the one who is doing the miracle. So that's this idea of miracle for John. So each of these signs that we're going to be going over, these all point to Jesus for a very specific reason. And as we talked last week, there's a danger in, in just kind of looking at signs, like I got to have God give me a sign to do this, and then I need God to do another sign for me in order to move on. I need another sign from God. That's, that trap can happen there because that sign points to another sign, to another sign, to another sign, right? But all of these signs that John talks about, all of them point very squarely to Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's why these are so important for us to understand. And so please turn to John chapter 2 as we begin our journey into these seven miraculous signs. So in John chapter 1, real quick... By the way, make sure—I mean, if you bring your Bibles, fantastic. I want to encourage you. Make sure you look at the Word of God for yourself. If you've got your smart device, this is an important thing for me that you guys are looking up what I am talking about and reading through it along with me, uh, because uh, because I think that's important for you to grow in that way as well to get comfortable with the Word of God. So make sure you have your Bibles or your smart devices uh, there in John chapter two. So in the previous chapter, John chapter one. Um, Jesus had gathered together about five of his disciples. Not all 12 of them uh, were gathered together yet, but he's got five of them. Uh, for sure, it's Peter, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, and then one other unnamed disciple that's gathered with Jesus at this point. And so they, they're beginning to make their way to a very special celebration in this, in this small little town called Cana. Cana might have had you know a little less than a thousand people, small town there in uh, in Israel at that time or Judea. Um, this celebration was a special one for this community because it was a wedding. How many of you been to a wedding recently? How many of you, did anybody get married during COVID? It was just such a weird time to get married. Anybody? Yes. Yeah, my son-in-law did. So got married to my daughter. That's what that would make him my son-in-law. Okay. Anyway, so right. So COVID weddings Any other COVID weddings are super fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, But anyway, so this was not a COVID wedding in John chapter two. And this was an incredible celebration. And And the thing about first century weddings was that the weddings weren't just about the family and the family alone they would have their family, they would have the extended family, and then the community itself was involved in this wedding. And so people would come, be a part of it, the wedding would typically last about at least a week long, sometimes longer, and this celebration would encompass that family and the family of the family and then beyond into the community because the community would be blessed by this wedding. The community would be blessed by this marriage that was taking place because they would become now have, you know, parents potentially, have kids, uh, have those kids grow up within that community so that they can then support the community. So there was a great celebration. Along with it, it was a lot of pressure. I've married off one of my kids. And there is pressure, right, that the wedding turns out right. You've got all the dreams of the bride. You've got all these things, right, to try to work through. Well, multiply that by 100, and that's kind of what it's like for the first century weddings. An incredible amount of pressure is put on these families. Everything has to be Right. Everything's got to go according to plan, all the preparations. Do we have enough food? Do we have enough refreshments? Do we have enough of everything here for the people that are going to be here over a week long period of time? On the third day, it says in John chapter two, verse one, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. So Mary is there. And so Jesus and Mary were invited uh, along with the disciples. And, and so obviously this is either family or it's somebody uh, that they are uh, very close to um, as, a, uh, as a friend. So the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Then it says this, when the wine ran out, it's a very important part of the celebrations. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, stop here real quick. (laughs) Don't call your mom woman, (laughs) okay? But in our world today, it seems weird. Uh, The the culture of the time, it was perfectly acceptable for Jesus to respond to his mom this way, right? He says, so woman, what does this have to do with me? Why are you bringing me into this? Right? And he goes on, he says, my hour has not yet come. And that's a big theme in the book of John, and we're not going to go into a lot of that. But Jesus is like, Mom, it's going to be fine without me. It's all good. Why are you asking me to be involved in this? And I love what his mother says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In other words, Mary, being a mom who loves her son, completely disregarded everything that Jesus had said. (laughs) and says, yep, Jesus is going to do something. (laughs) I love moms. (laughs) Right? Moms can get like, only Jesus' mom can tell Jesus what to do. Right? Like if anybody else were to tell Jesus what to do, he'd be like, no. But he's like, ah, that's my mom. (laughs) Don't want to get on mom's bad side. Anybody ever been on mom's bad side? Yeah, all right, a few of you have been there. That's great. That's great. So much fun. And so, uh, uh, so I, just, I just love that about this. And, and honestly, uh, what's so endearing about this is this is real life. Right? This is, and that's what I love about the Bible. It is so real to life. This interaction, why even include something like this, right? And yet here it is for us to see this dynamic between a mother and a son and realizing the mom comes out on top (laughs) and all of this stuff. And again, only Jesus' mom can get away with this. And so John sets up the scenario very quickly. No wine at the wedding when wine is absolutely central to the celebration of the weddings in first century Judaism. Jesus is on the scene. His mom assures the servants that Jesus is going to act even though Jesus had just said, mom, what are you bringing me into this whole thing for? So verse six of John chapter two, now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the water jars with water. So they filled them up to the very top, filled them up to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the head steward. And they did, it says. So the picture again, the wine is gone. Uh, there is a, a measure of shame, honestly, associated with this for the family. This is not a good showing for this family that wants to make a good impression uh, in this uh, current circumstance. Um, each of uh, so so Jesus looking around because he loves his mom, <laughs> right? He looks around and he sees six stone jars, each of them holding twenty to thirty gallons of water. They are empty at this point, apparently. And because he tells the servants, go fill these jars up. Now, the servants have just been told by Mary, who obviously has some sort of authority at this wedding, uh, tells them, do whatever he says. And so these servants, maybe knowing Jesus is a a rabbi of some sort or a teacher, they're like, okay, maybe he's going to do some sort of ceremony, ceremonial washing, you know, draw the attention away from the fact there's no wine. They really don't know what's going on. So they say, you know, Jesus says, go get water to fill this up. Now, they don't have like a kitchen with a tap uh, sitting right there. So they have to take whatever smaller jugs they have, go to the well, right, where they have to draw the water from the well, send the bucket down, however they do that. Then they go back to their house, dump that in there, and then they go back to the well. And so this wasn't something that took just a few minutes, this is something that, you know, potentially took 20, 30, 40 minutes. We really don't know how long, but it was not an instantaneous thing. And every time, these servants are going back like, what are we doing? I have no idea what this guy wants. They're out of, out of wine, not out of water. Okay, great, you know. And I mean, so just kind of strange, and these servants are wondering what is going on. And then Jesus says to them to do something unusual, draw out the water And take it to the headmaster, take it to the the chief steward, take it to the one who's kind of in charge of this whole thing. And I'm sure at that moment, those servants are freaking out a little bit. They put water in there. And Jesus just said, draw that out and take it to the guy who knows what water tastes like. But he's expecting something very, very different. John chapter 2 verse 9. When the head steward tasted the water, and now this is something interesting, John lets us in on what has happened. Nobody else knows what's going on, but John, as the author, he tells us that something miraculous has happened. We don't really know all that it is yet, but he says, when the head steward tasted the water that had been turned into wine, not knowing where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom remember, nobody else knows that the waters... We're the only ones now reading this that know that. Have you ever been called into the principal's office? (laughs) Jaden's like, yes. (laughs) Raise your hand real quick. Who's in good company here? Yes. For bad reasons or good reasons. (laughs) All right? (laughs) A lot of times, uh, we're called into the principal's office for for bad reasons. We, you know, set the school on fire. (laughs) We, uh, you know... (laughs) <laughs> That's a whole other story for a whole other time. Um, right? We, we get called in because we've done something stupid. The bridegroom, who's really ultimately in charge of all of this, the way it turns out, this is kind of his name, his new family name on the line, he gets called over to the headmaster. This is not good. Everybody knows there's no wine. Everybody saw the servants frantically going back and forth, filling these ceremonial jars with water, and they're like, what is going on here? And then they see a servant come over and serve something to the headmaster. Nobody knows what's going on. And now the bridegroom gets called over. Sweating. <laughs> this is not good. Um, he called the bridegroom and said to him, it goes on in verse 10, everyone serves the good wine first. And then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. So, get the picture. In that world, in that time, wine would be served at a wedding like this in order to save face. You serve the best up front. And then when people are uh, feeling a little bit better, let me just, let me just put it that way, <laughs> right? Then... You can bring out the cheap wine because uh, some of the versions, some of the versions that you have talk about their senses being dulled. So you can bring out the cheaper wine because they're, they're not, as, um, not as aware that it's now cheap wine that's being brought out, so they don't really care. They're like, it's just wine and we're fine with that. Everyone serves the good wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. But the master's sermon, it goes on to say, and this, this starts to get to the heart here, it says, you have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of Jesus' miraculous signs that he gives to us. And it's really a pretty amazing sign that he gives here. Um, And really the words of the master of the ceremony are very significant. We can look at them and laugh a little bit, right, because of the the situation that's kind of unfolding there and the way that people are because humans are humans and they're going to protect what they can and not spend money where they don't have to spend money, right? But remember, the master of the ceremonies is still in the dark when it comes to where this wine came from. The bridegroom is in the dark, doesn't have a clue where this wine came from. Uh, The servants are the only ones that know that something dramatic has happened, something miraculous has happened here, but they're in a position maybe not to say anything. And yet Jesus brings this incredible miracle. So what does this... What does this mean to us today? And a quick aside, uh, very, very quickly here. Um, is the wine that Jesus made, is it wine? In John chapter 2, there's, there's a word that is used in the Greek. And you want to know what the Greek word is, what, how it's translated? It's translated Wine. Right? So Jesus made wine. It was a staple of the culture. It was a staple of, of that time. And, and the water, uh, clean water was hard to come by. And so wine was a, was a way for, for them <laughs> to celebrate. But more than that, it was just a staple part of the diet was wine. And so people knew what wine tasted like. People understood the content of that wine and knew that there was a measure of an alcoholic content in that wine. So Jesus made wine, yes, but that's not the point. The point that He made wine. So don't go out of here and just say, "Well, Jesus made wine, so therefore I'm drinking a lot of wine." Okay, that's not the—that's not at all the point. Uh, I myself—I know many of you know part of my testimony—but I, I do not drink myself. I'm—I am. I've seen what it did to my dad as an alcoholic. I've seen it abused. I've seen it break people. I've seen it tear apart families. And so for me, the choice that I have made is that there is no alcohol as a part of my life. I think it's a good decision. So, I mean, you can join me in that. Um, But in this case, this isn't a proof text for wine or not wine. Okay, this Jesus made wine. And the master of the ceremonies knew what wine was. He knew what good wine was. He knew what cheap wine was. And at the end of this ceremony, at the end of this time, he knew that what was being brought out, the thing that Jesus made, that this wine was unlike any other wine that he had ever tasted. He said, this is the best that I've ever tasted. And so here's this big point. Because Jesus is not at all like Sprint. Jesus is not at all like DirecTV or, or uh, I'm trying to think of um, what are some of the other, Comcast or Xfinity. Jesus Jesus does not give you the best part of the deal up front. Jesus doesn't say to you, all right, hey, I'm going to change your life and it's going to be miserable for the rest of your life. That's not what he does but in this picture of this first miracle, and, and some scholars would say primary, right, as first is the primary one, is that Jesus saves the best for last. Right, that Jesus takes a look at our lives and says, I am gonna be with you and I'm gonna be blessing into your life day after day after day. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus, uh, you know, he, he goes and he, he has the, the uh, the servants go and they take the buckets that they had, right? Let's see, these are five gallons, so five, 10, so 15, all right. So, there are six, sorry, this is like a little small. Uh, there are six jars with, you know, fill up, up to like 160 gallons of wine that Jesus has made. I got 15 here. That's it. Oh, wait, so... So what does the generosity and the abundance of Jesus look like in your life? What what, what does this abundance look like that Jesus made on that day? How how can we grasp what Jesus is wanting to show in our life where he saves the best for last? He gives an abundance in our life that begins to grow. (laughs) Oh, there's more. And to grow... And to grow and to grow, right? This is the story that's being shown for us in John chapter 2. What happens is that John wants us to see here that it's not that Jesus won on, you know, one time in a certain day, turned some water pots of water into wine. Oh, there's more. Okay. Okay. Um, he wants us to see that when, whenever Jesus comes into a person's life, there comes a new quality and quantity of abundance into our, lives. more, oh my word. Okay, folks, this, this five gallons right here, oftentimes the world says, hey, I'm gonna fill you up at the beginning, and you got nothing more, right? Doesn't the world do this to us? If we buy that car, we buy that thing, then, then that's gonna be the answer for us. Let's say you just bought a car and you're like, yes! Oh, there's more, <laughs> oh my goodness, okay. All right, this is abundance, right? So I just bought that car and then my bucket is full and this is so exciting and I got that car and I park it. I joked about this a couple of weeks ago. I park it way out where nobody else is gonna park next to me and then what happens? Somebody parks right next to me. And in fact, when they open their door, On my brand new car, they put a chip in the paint. And if all of our hope is in a purchase, if everything is up front in our lives, we've missed God's blessing for our life. And so we look around at, at what Jesus did. And so the Bible says that there were, there were six of those jars totaling between 150 and 180 gallons of wine that Jesus made. Jesus didn't have to do that much, right? He didn't. I mean, he could have done just like, you know, 10 gallons. That might have been enough to do it. But Jesus is looking at this going, this is my chance well in fact it says this Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee in this way he revealed his glory what is the glory of Christ? in this moment he saves his abundance for the last the world gives everything up front folks sexual experience gone next moment Right? You buy something, it's old the next day. Right? This is what the world gives to us, and yet Jesus has given this beautiful picture of abundance of his grace that he's reserving for us beyond just today. This is our Jesus. And it says at the end, in this way he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is a sign that leads to belief in Jesus Christ. Jesus saves the best for last. Right now, we live in this world right now that is tough. right? We recognize that and honestly, serving Jesus can be tough at times in this world right now. But there is something to be said about the fact that Jesus saves the best for last. Some of the trials that we face the difficulties that we endure, families that are struggling and marriages that are, through all of this, where's our faith? Is our faith just in this moment right now? Or is our faith in that realization that Jesus there is a hope beyond this moment? Because Jesus, you save the best for last. Now, we do have this hope, right, as believers that, uh, that one day we will spend eternity with the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit in heaven. I mean, we, we have this idea and this hope. But the great thing is that the blessings, right, the abundance that is poured out into our lives today, it spills over into tomorrow, but it's not just for us. Right, the blessings and the abundance that Christ gives to us today, it's not just for us. It's for our children. It's for our neighbors. It's for our coworkers that we can let them know that this life is not all that it is. That this life is not all that it's about, but there is an abundance and Jesus saves the best for last. I'm going to invite you to uh, stand to your feet. John chapter 10 verse 10 says this. He says, I have come so that they may have life and have life more abundantly or have it abundantly. This is that abundant life that Jesus is talking, right? This abundant life that he gives to us that he overflows in and through us. The greatest gift, right? The greatest gift of abundance that we can imagine is that of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us so that this would be possible for us. He's promised us new life. He's given us really the sign of abundance for us to wrestle with today. And I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. You're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I, uh, that's great, but I have not experienced that abundant life. I'm not experienced. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of wrapped up in the world, the world that made promises to me that it was gonna be okay, but I realized that the best was up front for the world. And I realized now I've gotta trust Jesus with my life because the best is yet to come. And if that's you this morning, say, I just need Jesus in my life. I need a new life. Can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of hands up. Amen. Anybody up in the balcony? Thank you. Amen, amen, thank you. Would you do me a favor and just all of us together repeat just a very, very simple prayer together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Jesus, thank you for giving me new life, for removing the old and making me a new creation. And Jesus, thank you that one day you'll be returning for me because you save the best for last. In Jesus' name. Father, I'm so grateful for these who have raised their hands today. God, I'm grateful that we are a people who overcome. I thank you, Jesus, that there is a sense this morning that uh, Lord, you are pouring out your abundance upon us and God, we are overwhelmed by the grace that you extend to us. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, God. We, there's nothing that we can do to show that we are worthy of it except for us to turn our hearts towards you and in faith reach out to you and receive new life. Father, I'm grateful for these who have raised their hands today. And if you did raise your hand, uh, again, the seat, we've already referred to this card, but there's a card that says Connection on it. And if you could fill that out and take it to uh, out to the lobby to our guest services, uh, services table, I would love to have you fill that out Turn it in so that we can follow up uh, with you on this decision that you've made today. Okay, make sure you do that. We really want to help you out. Uh, and then, really, as our final step here this morning, um, I'm going to invite us just one final time to make a declaration to the Lord. We sang the song uh, earlier, right at the beginning of the service, uh, that we have overcome. Right. This is that declaration we have overcome. And pictured in front of us is this abundant life that we should expect in our in our journey with uh, journey of faith with Christ. And so, let us sing this this morning. Um, really, as we. We overcome because we are the children of the Most High God. Go ahead and lead us. overcome, and that, God, we as a people stand in your abundance and your grace. Father, I thank you that you pour out so much more abundance, God, and you've promised to give us an abundant life, and we're grateful for that. And so, God, renew in us a commitment to you. Renew a right spirit within us. Help us, oh God, as we follow after you. Father, I pray your blessing upon your people today. God, let it be abundant. And God, as we leave from this place, help us to honor you by serving you, God, and by bringing people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to represent you well in this world around us. Lord, I thank you that you're a gracious, loving, holy, and righteous God. And Lord, we love serving you. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. See you next week.